This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Andy Hill from the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, and when I'm not singing Disney karaoke songs with my kids at home, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this week, we begin the celebration of Black History Month. Joining us with stories and lessons from our earliest black millionaires, we welcome journalist Shomari Wills. Plus, we're all MTV fans here, and Mike the Situation Sorrentino from MTV's Jersey Shore is probably someone you've been wondering about. What happened to that guy? He used to be worth $10 million, but what's his story now? As the situation's number one fan and stalker, I can't wait to hear all about it. Plus, what exactly happens to your life insurance when your providing company gets sold? Does your coverage change? And finally, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Julie, who wants to have more money conversations with her husband. What's the best way to start having these conversations? And I'll keep you guessing with my tax-related trivia. And now, two guys who've been trying to have a basement-themed show on MTV for decades. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. You know what I've always thought? If they played music videos on MTV, how cool would that be? Could be a thing. It's like they should have a dedicated channel for music television yeah maybe like mtv3 or mtv4 they could come up with this thing maybe show some that'd be so cool hey everybody welcome to the future i'm joe salci high average show money on twitter and i think we're going to go back today og hopefully to some normal programming believe it or not not going to talk about amc not going to talk about gamestop not going to talk about shorting stocks if you want that Go to our headlines from Monday because, uh, hey, we were all about it then. But back to the fun that is overall financial planning. And across the card table from me, celebrating the middle of a week that sure feels more like a normal week than last week, Mr. OG. I can't believe it's already February. I know. February 3rd, too. 
Where did February 1st go? Yeah, it really sucks that the uh, groundhog saw his shadow. I don't Ugh. know what that means, but it's uh, apparently when it varmint seeds, it's shadow. It's, it means it's sunny out. So that's sucky. I think they want us to know it's sucky. So, oh, well, probably he's wearing sunglasses or something. Maybe it makes sense to look up what all that means before we hit record, OG. But either way, OG's here. I'm here. We're in the basement. Fresh coffee, ready to record. Let's do Wednesday. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News, an industry rag for investment professionals. You know, where they talk about ways to screw the little guy on GameStop trade, stuff like that. <laughs> no, probably not that type of publication. This piece was written by Emil Halez, Mass Mutual, owner of uh, Haven Life, sponsor of this show, to buy Great American Life Insurance. The deal will reinforce Mass Mutual's focus on its retail annuities business. Last year, the company sold its defined contribution record keeping business to empower retirement via a reinsurance transaction with a seating commission of $2.35 billion, with a B, dollars. Big deal here, OG, in annuity land. I don't really want to get into annuities. Let's not talk about that. Thank the you. reason that, uh, I mean, we can talk about that if you think that we want to talk about that. We've done annuities, I think, a lot. Generally, buyer beware when it comes to annuities. Understand what the heck you're getting into before you get into one. Can be a good product, but let's talk about insurance because when you have an insurance policy, and even annuities, OG, or a type of insurance policy, if I'm a great American customer right now and I'm like, whoa, what happens to me? What happens to me when my company gets bought? How does this work if you have insurance with some company and they get bought out? Uh, well, you're screwed. I mean, all the premiums are gone and um, you have to start over. There it is. Hopefully haven't developed some kind of condition. Yeah. And, uh, no, yeah, that's, that's not it at all. Chill, chill, chill. Probably not true. No, it's a, a, a part of that transition. Part of that acquisition is the new company is going to assume all of the contracts that the old company had, and they're not going to be eligible to make changes to those. They may make changes in the future. They may say, Hey, these products that you're offering presently or, or planning on offering in the future, we're not going to offer these anymore because they have too much overlap. You see this a lot in the investment management business, right? One fund company buys another fund company and they go, we don't need two large cap growth funds. We're going to have one. So we're getting rid of this one. And, you know, so that sort of stuff can happen. But for people that have the, you know, your insurance policy with Great American, it'll be changed. The name will be changed, but policy will stay in force. Everything will be as expected. Maybe you'll have to send the premiums to a different location. Kind of like when your mortgage is sold. I forgot how annoying that is, by the way. But a mortgage is also, and I think this is the thing that people really need to know from this discussion, is you talked about the contract. They buy all the contracts. You have a contract, in this case, with Great American. It's a legally binding contract. And so because of that, Mass Mutual can't come in and change the contract. Correct. And that's part of their transaction, right? They're not going to, Great American isn't going to say, hey, you can buy our business, but feel free to make any changes to the contracts you feel are appropriate. No, that's part of the valuation that they do is they look at the risk model of that associated business line and say, okay, well, we want to assume this risk or we don't. And that's just part of the whole transaction to begin with. Speaking of MTV, our second headline comes to us from thethings.com, 
One person I never thought that I would worry about at all was a guy from a Jersey Shore. Were you a big Jersey Shore fan? No. No? Not at all? I'm, I'm sure. You, you just don't want to admit it. Come on. You go back and watch all the old episodes of Jersey Shore. I don't even, I've never even seen a commercial for it. You will know this name. Mike Sarantino, a.k.a. The Situation. Remember The Situation? No. You do know The Situation. Oh, look at you. You're such a, you're, you know all about The Situation. The Situation used to be worth $10 million. Here's where he's at in 2021. So he started off making a ton of money on the top of the world. $10 million he had between making appearances and endorsements. This is all you got to do. You show up on TV a few times. Or podcast. Go do some endorsements or podcast and you get 10 million bucks. Yep. Bingo. How come that doesn't happen to everybody? Why does- I want my money in GameStop shares. <laughs> it's like Bitcoin. Then though, he got into legal trouble. He uh, failed to pay taxes, OG. On, oh. Yeah, on 9 million of the 10 million. Oops. Uh, my bad. Oversight between 2010, and 2012. And as a result, he was charged with tax fraud, had to spend eight months in federal prison. Federal prison, uh, which is just slightly better than a country club. Slightly better. Yes. Hey, three, three square meals. Three hots in a cot. That's yeah. what they say. Every, everybody else is paying your bill. Remember when you used to be able to like avoid prison time by just joining the army? Oh, your honor, I'd like to join the army instead. How come you can't do that anymore? Because <laughs> they don't want criminals in the army, I suppose. <laughs> Probably not. Just a bunch of tax evaders. Just just tax frauders. What are you here for? Uh, about $9 million? Yeah. I didn't do it. The thing here... And I'm reminded of David Cody's book, David Cody here recently, uh, back in January, talking about how when he was CEO of Honeywell, they had all of these problems. There are people listening that maybe you have credit card problems, maybe you have tax problems. There is some skeleton there in the closet. And I love, OG, what David Cody had to say about that, which is take care of them now. It doesn't get better by saying, I'm going to take care of this later. Yeah. Eight months in prison, not not good. And guess what? By the way, that prison sentence doesn't wipe out the tax bill. The tax bill still exists, and the meter's still running while you're in prison. It's not like, all right, dude, what do you want to do? You want to pay the nine million, or you want to go to prison? You're like, I'll just go to prison. No, nope. You go to prison and pay the nine million. Well, I guess it wouldn't be nine million to be. Well, it probably is now after with taxes and penalties. Sure. And that is actually the good news now on this piece, which is that. Although he's worth uh, three hundred thousand dollars, nine point seven million is gone. According to this piece, he's worth three hundred thousand. Uh, he is working on a bunch of projects, starting to rebuild his income. And this is the other piece of this that I like. OG, whether you follow Jersey Shore or not, no matter what happened in the past, tomorrow can be a different day. That's right. Build your house of bricks, said a little pig, and uh, things things will go much better. In just a second, OG and I will have our takeaways, but getting back to the situation joining the service, imagine if he could do that instead of paying his tax bill. You know why that would be fantastic for him? Get on the straight and narrow. Well, being he, in the service is awesome. He could he could join Navy Federal. That's even better. Oh, well, Like being go. on the straight and narrow is like a seven, but joining Navy Federal will be like an 11. Like an 11, yeah. And by the way, if you're an active duty service member, a veteran, DOD civilian, or military family member, I'm smooth with this, aren't I? 
you could join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, instead of going to prison, they probably don't want me to say that, doesn't have to be the Navy, could be Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard. You can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save $361 more per year. You could pay no fees, get low rates, and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Navy Federal puts members first by helping them save money, make money, and enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. Plus, now's a great time to join. If you've got a large credit card balance after the holidays, let Navy Federal help you rebalance your priorities, make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt, and transfer your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR, no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org, Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back study, 5.99 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and credit worthiness, up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So I love the takeaway from the situation. The situation, stackers, is this. Don't worry about what happened yesterday. Attack your problems head on. There's no time like now to attack. If you're putting it off till tomorrow, next week, next month, and you know what the issue is, it's not going to get better. No. Gets better by taking care of it now. It's going to cost you less, not just in terms of money, going to cost you a hell of a lot less money, but it's also going to cost you less brain power, less aggravation, stress, anxiety. Going to make everything better as you go. Yep. If you've got to do something, there's two types of pain in life, slow pain and fast pain. Get it over with. Rip the bandaid. I'm so excited to talk to our next guest. Shamari Wills is a journalist. He's worked for CNN and Good Morning America. He's contributed to New York Carib News and the Columbia Journalism Review. He wrote this book, OG, called Black Fortunes, about ex-slaves and other first-generation Black Americans. The research he must have done to dig into these stories of fortunes made, of fortunes lost. A lot of fantastic lessons here. Let's say hello to Shamari Wills and talk about Black Fortunes. And on my dad, Shortwave Radio, Shamari Wills joins us. How are you? I'm great. You know, maintaining, trying to stay focused and stay healthy. Boy, that's all of us. I am so glad that you could talk to us, though, about your book. And what fascinated me when I first started reading it was this book's personal for you. 
I didn't necessarily envision it that way, but it ended up being that way. So I am connected to one of the first black millionaires in the Philadelphia area. Uh, his name was uh, John Mott Drew. He was my great uncle. Um, and he started the first bus line in like sort of the uh, one of the major suburbs in the Pennsylvania service, sort of Darby area of Pennsylvania. And he started a bus line because, you know, it's kind of this middle class black suburb. But the black folks had no way to get to the their jobs in Lansdowne or Philadelphia or what have you. So he started his bus line. It got real big. He eventually sold it to what became SEPTA, was investing in the stock market at the same time, reinvesting a lot of his profits. Uh, and he just became very wealthy that way, became a millionaire. And he retired and bought a Negro League baseball team and sort of <laughs> lived his life. So that's a, that was always kind of a family story. We always got a kick in the fact that he owned the baseball team. So we're big baseball fans in my family. But I didn't even think about it when I started writing this book, uh, my own personal connection. And then as I kind of got to the end of the book, people were like, you know, you have to talk about this. Um, you got to talk about Uncle John. So I do get into that a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of a cool connection to think about. And maybe it gave me a little bit more insight into kind of the psychology of some of these folks, uh, just through knowing it through my family history. His story of building a business, how many of the people that you profile in the book, was it a business that really made them money versus, you know, your Uncle John went into the stock market then? He was basically a guy that had a business and reinvested his profits into the stock market. Most of them, it was more, you know, sort of building a business empire and there was some investment there as well. It was kind of a mix of both for most of them. So I'll give you an example. You had uh, Mary Ellen Pleasant, who uh, was this woman. She was a free black woman during the slave period who went to uh, San Francisco during the gold rush. She was from New England. And, you know, she started out with these little kind of money lending businesses and laundries, you know, because there were no laundromats in San Francisco at the, in, at the beginning of the gold rush. And she kind of reinvested that money. She got involved with this guy called Thomas Bell, who was called, you know, the Silver King. You know, he was big into investing in silver, trading silver. He was just known as kind of the silver king of the West. And she got involved with him and invested a lot of her money in silver and in, and in other commodities. And that was kind of what took her from being sort of a uh, local business magnate with all these laundromats and all these different local services that she got into, loan sharking or local lending. She was able to sort of take her business profits uh, and amplify them through through investing. That this was in commodities, not necessarily stocks, but you yeah. know, same idea. Let's start with her story since we're talking about her because her time in New England I find fascinating. You start off with Frederick Douglass is in town, and and I believe does the story start off with he didn't expect to give a speech, or it was one of his early speeches that he gave. He kind of got pushed on the stage. Yeah, I love that. You know, we we know Frederick Douglass as sort of this great orator and, you know, great writer, one of the greatest American writers, in my opinion. But this is a guy that had tremendous stage fright at the beginning of his life. And so he gave this speech in Nantucket, where Marianne Pleasant lived. And, you know, he kind of got, you know, surprised in being asked to do this speech at this big abolitionist convention. I mean, and by the end of it, like the place just erupts. You know, and this speech is one of the things that kind of launched Frederick Douglass. At the same time, Mary Ellen Pleasant was a young girl or a young woman, about 18 or 19 years old, in Nantucket, 
And, you know, shortly after she kind of leaves Nantucket, goes to Boston and gets involved in the abolitionist movement herself. So she happened to be in Nantucket, which was a real hotbed of abolition. Yeah, I wanted to um, ask you, if you don't mind, specifically about Nantucket, because you make a point of going into whaling. And really, if there was one, and I don't want to overdo this too much, but you really make a point that whaling was kind of an equalizer for people, regardless of your race. Yeah, whaling was one of the most equal early you know, labor sectors because it was an energy sector. You know, you, we think of it as kind of like hunting or, you know, fishing or something like that. But the purpose of the time at the time of whaling was to, you know, hunt these whales for the blubber, which could be then turned into energy for candles or for oil lamps or what have you. So this was like the petroleum of the time. Huge industry became one of the biggest industries in the United States uh, very quickly. And it, but it was really hard labor. You had to be big and strong, you had to have a lot of dexterity, which is very demanding. You know, not everybody could do it. And so it just ended up becoming very meritocratic. It was very dangerous. People died all the time welling. Uh, you know, we've all read Moby Dick and we know just how, you know, harrowing that pursuit can be. So it was a very hard, very dangerous job. But because of that, there was a tremendous demand for people that had the strength and skill to do it. And they had this kind of unique profit sharing model that allowed people to get a pretty good chunk of the proceeds from whaling. So the way a whaling ship worked usually is that the people that manned the ship almost had shares. So when they brought in the whale, everybody would get a certain percentage of the profits. So it ended up being this quasi lucrative job that black people were able to, you know, gain entry into because it was very meritocratic. You know, there was no, you could either pull in the well or not. You were either going to fall overboard or not, you know, so it just became this beacon of good jobs for black people during the slave period, you know, and it would be Nantucket was unique in that way and that you had these little black communities in Nantucket where people were doing really well, that they had homes, they had businesses, their children were educated during the slave period, you know, so it was sort of a very unique place because of whaling. Yeah. And it's funny because as I'm, as I'm reading your words, I was thinking, wow, this place really seems enlightened. And yet there was a clear distinction between the black side of town and the white side of town. So it wasn't all rosy for black people, even in Nantucket. Yeah, it was definitely segregated, you know, so there was a black enclave where all the black folks lived. Um, and it was actually behind a fence, if you can believe it. Otherwise, it was kind of um, interesting because otherwise, you know, it was a very enlightened place in terms of, you know, supporting abolition of slavery. The people were very tolerant there, but you did still have segregation there. That was kind of a, a strange piece of, you know, how they kept everything together. Yeah. Back to Mary Ann Pleasant. She was very smart. You write. But she was not allowed to go to school. Why was that? She was all over the place. She was a world traveler, for sure. She was born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And she was the daughter of a Polynesian silk merchant, traveling salesman, and a black woman who I believe to be from New Orleans. And so they raised her for the first few years together in Philadelphia, but when she got to be about four or five years old, this decision had to be made that was actually quite common back then, which is that if you had a young black child, there were only really two places 
that you could send them to get educated, which is uh, Cincinnati, Ohio and Nantucket. Those are really the only places that had schools for black children. Oh, I was going to say, why Cincinnati? <laughs> that just seems random. I don't know. I, I think it was, a, you know, Ohio was actually a pretty enlightened place. You know, I think it has a lot to do with the academics up there. That struck me, too. You yeah. know, but Ohio and Nantucket, those are really the only two places you could send your kid to school. And so a lot of times this is during slavery. This is in the 1820s. If you had people that had kids that they wanted to get educated because there was there were no schools for black children in Philadelphia at the time, you had to make a decision to either send the kid to Ohio or send the kid to Nantucket. Another one of my characters in the book, Bob Church, one of the inflection points in his life is that his mother was a black slave and his dad was sort of a white ship captain. And the mother, she was had a terminal illness and she made the father promise that he would send Bob to school in Ohio when she died. And he didn't do it. He kind of re-enslaved him. But, you know, during the period, Ohio and Nantucket were really like the hope for black children. If you were going to get an education as a black person, you really had to be in one of those two places unless you were self-taught like Frederick Douglass, for example. But Mary Ellen Pleasant's father had these friends, not really friends, acquaintances, kind of business associates who he knew in Nantucket. And so he sent her there to live with them and be put in school. And he sent them money. Actually, if you go back to the historical records, this family, the Hussey family, they were known in Nantucket to be kind of a uh, very slippery sort of family. And, you know, they were not necessarily, I and mean, I don't mean to kind of disparage the whole family line, but they were known for being dishonest. You know, there's a poem about them that says there's never an honest hussy. I think if there's a poem about you and about how dishonest <laughs> you are, you, you might have a little bit of a reputation. Yeah. So they were not, but I guess he didn't know that. And the story goes, they kept the money that her father gave for um, her to go to school in Nantucket. But they took her in. She lived there. She lived in Nantucket with the family. And they just kind of put her to work in the general store that they owned. So she didn't get a traditional education, but she did learn a lot about commerce by working in this general store in this kind of boom town in Nantucket. You talk about many of these people got wealthy and some of the real hardship they faced and the uphill battles they faced getting to where they were. You start off with this right in the introduction with the story of William Alexander Leesdorf. Do you mind sharing a little bit of that story? Because I think this is really indicative of a lot of what these early black fortunes got built and then really got ripped off. So yeah, William Leesdorf, he's an interesting guy. He's in Louisiana and New Orleans during the antebellum period, during slavery. He was... Um, a free black man. He was the son of a white merchant and a um, black woman from the Caribbean. Um, he moved to New Orleans from the Caribbean as a young man and sort of built a business career there, uh, just involved with mercantilism and trade. And, you know, he did very well for himself. And one thing that he had going for him is that he was very racially ambiguous in his appearance. You know, he's fair skinned. He had curly hair. Like if you see pictures of him, he has curly red hair, but he has kind of very fair complexion. 
And this is New Orleans, which was kind of a polyglot at the time. Everybody's there, you know, people from the Arab world, Europe, Spain, everywhere. Everybody's in New Orleans at the time. So I don't think anybody would have really blinked twice to kind of see this white looking guy with curly hair. Um, And he got engaged to a um, sort of an aristocrat, this aristocratic white woman. And, you know, she came from this very well to do family. And he ended up confessing to her that he was black. The, the engagement was broken off by her family. You know, the story goes, she actually died of heartbreak because of that. And he ends up leaving New Orleans and he goes to California and he starts a trading business. His big ticket item was he was one of the big coffee traders in the West Coast at the time. And he also builds a relationship with the Mexican government. He becomes sort of an ambassador of sorts, and they give him a bunch of land as sort of a gift. Uh, and the land encompasses almost all of modern day Sacramento and a lot of San Francisco. I mean, so he was he owned all of this land, you know, so we all know, you know, America eventually annexes California. Uh, and so all this Mexican land he has becomes American land. And at Sutter's Mill, <laughs> they end up discovering gold and his land is just filled with potential gold mines. So he has one of the most valuable pieces of land, you know, and he becomes a millionaire instantly on top of all of his sort of businesses and trade. Anyway, he ends up passing away in his sleep, unfortunately, right after gold is discovered in California. And his mother is sort of an illiterate house servant in the Caribbean and sort of an unscrupulous businessman travels to find his mother and she says, hey, I'll give you some amount. I think it's basically the equivalent of about $50,000. I'll give you $50,000 for your son's land if she signs it. Which to her seems like a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, it still happens today. You know, (laughs) people just get offered, you know, it seems like not enough money for some asset they have. And then you find out it's worth so much more. This is what happened to her. And so his family eventually realizes what happens and they try to sue. But in the United States and in California for a long time, uh, it was basically impossible for black people to sue white people because black people could not testify in court legally. You know, it's just this tragedy. His family lost this million dollar fortune with just a stroke of a pen. And for years, even after um, slavery was abolished, People fought for black people to get the right to testify in court. And this was one of the stories that people kind of um, would pass around, you know, as this thing that happened because African-Americans could not testify in court. That just it it put such a pit in my stomach. A guy who built what today would be a billion, you know, he'd be a billionaire today. And the fact that just swindled out of all of that, that was just horrible. How hard was it researching this? I can't imagine finding all these records was easy. No, I mean, it was it was tough. I think probably the hardest part is the earlier parts of the story were harder to research because after the Civil War, African-Americans start getting included on vital records. You know, so about 1860, you know, all these people appear in the census. You can find their death records, things like that. But, you know, the part of the story uh, that takes place in the 1820s, 1830s, 1840s is much harder, harder to research, unfortunately, and specifically because black people were not included in vital records. 
fortunately, most of these people left some sort of biographical memoir sketch, like, you know, Marianne Pleasant has a memoir that's maybe 10 pages. Um, you know, so we have their words and, you know, it's sort of a detective case to kind of piece everything together, especially the earlier parts of the story. I'm imagining that there were some times when you must have just been thrilled that you uncover some stuff. Tell me, what was the most surprising piece of history that you uncovered while you were researching? One of the things that like was really thrilling for me is Mary Ellen Pleasant. She, you know, the black millionaire made all this money during the gold rush. She offered some tremendous surprises. One was the fact that she helped John Brown. Uh, she was one of the funders of John Brown and his raid on Harper's Ferry. We know that there's this group of funders for John Brown called the Secret Six, which is basically these four wealthy white men abolitionists that funded her. There's actually a seventh member, and it was actually Mary Ellen Pleasant. It was Pleasant. her. Wow. And so that was thrilling, thrilling to discover, um, you know, when I finally found that. She, to me, was just always such a, a thrill to research. I remember... I was almost finished with the book and there's two biographical sketches she wrote. There's one that she wrote when she was about 10 years away from passing away. And there's one that she wrote right at the, or had dictated rather at the end of her life. And that second one, I could not find it anywhere. And, you know, I just hadn't moved forward with that. And I found that right at the end of researching this book. Did you really? So I had to furiously go back and rewrite chapters, <laughs> but it was such a thrill because she's so reflective on her life at that point. And by that time, she had actually lost most of her money uh, in this big scandal. But just she was so reflective and she just expressed that all of the work that she did to advance the cause of, you know, black equality had been worth everything that she had been through. So it was just kind of it offered me also as someone who was trying to be a biographer of hers, this closure, you know, to her story, to see how she felt about how everything ended. The book is called Black Fortunes. It was a fascinating read. One of the stories that we won't get to, but that just talk about pit in your stomach was uh, the gentleman who was uh, the ruthless uh, trader on Wall Street. And when the white lynching crowd, I think, was coming to get him, that was just an absolutely heartbreaking story that people are definitely going to want to read. Available everywhere? Yeah, absolutely. Everywhere. Um, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, I love to tell people, support your local bookseller if you can, especially now. Most of them are doing uh, shipping if you don't feel comfortable going into the store. But it's available everywhere. Books are sold. The audiobook is great. There's It's not me on audiobook. It's an actor uh, who is <laughs> even better at reading it than I could be. So definitely uh, check out the audiobook if you can. Awesome. Thanks for spending some time with us talking about Black Fortunes. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. Really fun to be on. Hey, trivia fans. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And after hearing all these fascinating money stories from Shomari Wills, I am more determined than ever to start making my own money story. So if I'm going to get rich, where should I start? Well, I'll tell you where. How about bumping up the interest on my savings account? Man, all of these interest cuts from the Fed have really capped the mad gains I was getting. Back in the day, I'd brag about all that 1.5% I was earning, and now I'm lucky if I get 0.05. But of course, there's a downside. If I change my savings account to earn more, the IRS will probably come after me for a bunch more money. Which brings us to today's trivia question. 
On today's date in 1913, the U.S. government started a new kind of tax. What was the tax? I'll be back with your answer faster than Uncle Sam can slip his fingers right into your wallet. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, and it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together, and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey, stackers. I'm your pal, neighbor Doug, and I'm back with my newest scheme. Uh, my newest idea. I mean, it's an idea. It's not a scheme. There's nothing schemey. It's just, it's all above board. So it's an idea to make you loads of sweet, sweet cheddar. So get this. Right now, my bank, the first bank of Texarkana, is offering a lousy 0.05% interest on my savings. But get this. I found this other bank across town, Bill's Bank and Car Wash mostly Bill's bank, but you know, he does a little car wash thing on the side. That dude's offering a 0.65% interest rate. Do you smell that? Do you smell it? That is called free moolah. I asked Bill how he does it. And he said, if you strip off that FDIC insurance, they attach and just take a few bucks out of the people's account who eh, don't really pay attention that much. They can bump everything up big time for the rest of us. Sounds like a solid business plan to me, Bill. Now all I got to do is go down to the car wash and open up a new account. And 
The teller will also wash the El Camino for me. Bill says this interest rate arbitrage is like taking candy from old people. I think he's got the analogy wrong. It's taking candy from a baby, Bill, but ah, what do I know? I got to hurry up and cruise back there because the line is bound to be like a a mile long. So I'm going to hand over your trivia answer. The question was, on this date in 1913, the U.S. government started a new kind of tax. What was the tax? Well, passed by Congress on July 2nd, 1909, and ratified on February 3rd, 1913, the 16th Amendment established Congress's right to impose a federal income tax. You know, it's everybody's favorite. I can tell you a great way to avoid that tax is just don't make any money. It's simple. And now, off to go make some fat stacks at Bill's Bacon Car Wash. See ya! Big thanks to Shamari Wells for sharing those stories. History, OG. I I just love it. I abs well, obviously these stories I don't love, but I love hearing and learning from these lessons and uh seeing the resilience of some of these early black millionaires. Just an inspirational story. Well, uh, I'm a big fan of looking at the past for clues to the future, you know, and you can see some of the some of the skills that other generations had, even though it was hundreds of years ago or 150 years ago or whatever, 170 years ago, that's, that works as success now. Yeah. The resilience that people had. And you know, two of those stories, it's not lost on me this week after all of the gyrations around GameStop and all of these stocks. And this gets away from the story that Shamari was talking about. OG the money was not made for most people on that gold rush. The money for most people was made on either owning the land like William Alexander Liedesdorf did, or being someone who is involved in a lot of the trade there, like Marianne Pleasant was involved in. Robin, Robin Hood's still going to make money on these trades that people are making. I wonder how many shares of... GameStop, the CEO of uh, Robinhood owns. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Bitcoin, obviously. Shuh. <laughs> We're on to that now. New thing, new topic. Yes. Or is it Dogecoin now? I don't know. Something. Can't keep track of it, dude. Some crypto. Uh, yes, it's actually your loved ones in your time, but Hey, when you're a multi-bajillionaire, you got all kinds of time spend with your loved ones. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, your loved ones in your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. So you can spend more time with them. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Application simple, saves you a ton of time. You get this done, you get it over with, you got your insurance taken care of, bam, you're going on with life. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to Julie. Say hi, Julie. Hey, Joe, OG, Paula, Len, Doug, whoever else is around. I have a quick question about having money conversations with my husband. I'm 29. He's 28. We have about 70,000 in various assets, 24,000 in debts, which makes a net worth of 46,000. Combined, we make about 60 to 65,000 per year, depending on overtime. So from a number standpoint, I think we're doing fine. But when he asks me if he can spend money, I typically say, no, no, we're poor. You can't spend that. 
Uh, we have a goal of two million by retirement, and we want to buy a house sooner than later. And I'm going to need a new car in the next couple of years. But other than that, we don't really have any clear goals. How would you talk to a spouse about spending to keep on track when you don't have clear goals set? Am I being too stingy because we don't have goals, and I just don't like spending? Anyways, I really appreciate your time and anything that you would say to him or to me. Love the show. Bye. Hey, Julie. First of all, congratulations on you say you don't have clear goals, but man, OG, for somebody as young as Julie is hearing already the goals that she has and how adamant she is about reaching those is fantastic. Sounds like there's goals to me, right? Want to buy a house, need to buy a car, want to retire this amount of money, so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, Before you answer this question, OG, I also want to just tell Julie that coming up on the show in two weeks, Aaron Lowry uh, from Broke Millennial just wrote a book about this topic, and we're going to dive into this a ton then. We're not going to make you wait for that because, OG, you've been, I'm sure, central to many families' uh, discussions here about money. What do you think about her telling her husband, no, we're broke, we we can't spend money? Well, I mean, obviously it's not true. There's a little tongue in cheek there. You know, hopefully sure. hopefully that message is coming through to her husband also. The thing about financial planning is that it's partly about making sure that you're on track for your goals and making sure that you're, you know, pointing everything in the right direction. But it's also about permission. It's about permission to say, hey, we're doing well. We don't need to keep our foot on the gas this much. You know, saving money or investing money for the sake of piling money on top of money, you know, when you've reached your goals or you're on track for your goals and you don't have a clear desire to, or an important desire to like pull that goal closer toward you. Hey, I'm on track for retirement at 55. I'm okay with that. I like that as a goal. It doesn't excite me to get to 53 as a financial independence time. Then financial planning allows, gives you permission to say, okay, well we can do this other stuff. Now we've made good decisions in the past to allow us the flexibility in the future. This is the only thing that I worry about, Juliet. I'm sure, OG, you must worry about this too, that if you're too to the bone today and you're just a ramen noodle diet to get where you want to go, at some point, Julie and her husband look at each other and they're like, we've been great for the last month and a half. Let's go buy a big screen TV. And of course, we're only going to buy once, so we're not going to buy the inexpensive one. We're going to buy the really expensive one. And then all that saving that they did the last six weeks is blown up because of the fact that they had a starvation diet. I don't think the starvation diet is the answer. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And that's true. And I'm also worried about the chicanery that goes on. Oh, the wife will never know. Right. You know, she she never lets me spend money like that. Just it's so seeds of resentment. And and so I think part of it is even if you've got a, a partner or a spouse who is, you know, a lot of times there's the money person and the non-money person in the relationship, right? If you're the money person and you're talking to the non-money person, you can't be whipping out 32 tabs of Google Sheets and going, look at this cool. Like, hold on, let me show you how awesome my Excel skills are. Like I made a little chart. Like nobody cares about that. I mean, you do because you're kind of a nerd about it and that's fantastic, but your partner may not. So you have to kind of figure out what buttons to push. You have to figure out what the highlights are. You know, your financial planning meeting, your weekly meeting with Cheryl is, you know, it's not a two hour long drawn out diatribe of let's take a look at the kilowatt hours of electricity we use this week. I mean, maybe people get excited about that, 
But if you're the non-finance person in the relationship, you're like, cool, are we on track or not? You know, and maybe you can pick out some highlights. Hey, this is what happened this month. We were able to put away a little bit more money than I thought. So next month we can dial it back. Uh, so we've got basically 500 bucks discretionary. Why don't we think about it? And you come up with some ideas. A lot of people use the allowance type thing, right? Every month you get 200 bucks and you get to spend as how, however you want. You know, you want to sp- buy something for 2000, you better save 10 months worth of your allowance, basically. And that, that works for some people as well. Not my favorite, but for some people. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, the allowance really worked for me. We don't do the allowance anymore, but when money was tight, Cheryl would get frustrated with me when I would come home with a board game that we probably couldn't afford. I would get frustrated with her because back before streaming, she would buy DVDs, right? That she'd watch once and then it would, would, would sit in a closet. But for us, those were our outlets and to get rid of those outlets completely was horrible. So we did implement when things were really tight an allowance system so that I knew for me, there was going to be a time that I would get to buy a game and it was okay to bring that home, even though we were struggling financially because that movie she was buying, that board game I was buying, OG, that made sure that we didn't have the big screen TV moment. Right. And there wasn't the resentment. Yeah. But you've got the goals. I think you need to communicate them to your spouse and just say, hey, this is what we're shooting for. And this is what it takes every month. And it's okay to spend the difference. It's okay to have extra and be on top of it. Now, maybe you don't have extra right now to blow because you're on your, you know, you're saving everything you can to be on track, but maybe the next promotion or the next raise or the next week of overtime isn't required for that. And as long as you've got a clear understanding of what the goals are and what the requirements are, and you guys agree on it, then you can also agree on what to do with the extra, so to speak. Thanks for the question, Julie. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and like Julie We're happy to chat about uh, whatever's on your mind. And again, Julie, congratulations to you and your husband. It's great to hear goals like that. That's going to do it for today. If you just heard Julie and you're thinking, you know what? My goals are not as crisp as they should be, or I'm doing nothing to reach my goals, or there is that resentment and we need a third person in the room, a friend to help us. Well, OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's the link to their calendar. And you can see how their team can interface with your team to do things better in 2021. That's going to do it for today. Also, big thanks to people who left us a review of this show. Mom's got this one on the fridge from Hybin. A lot of dad jokes and deadpan humor. I want more. Usually multiple ads smack dab in the middle of the show make me unsubscribe from podcasts, but Stacky Benjamins manages to integrate ads with humor. I oddly look forward to some of the responses to the setup Haven Life question. At one point, I had to rewind several seconds to hear what I missed while laughing too hard. Oh, and I guess you learn stuff too sometimes. Hey, it, it is interesting. Sadly, hi, Ben. And by the way, thank you for that five-star review. Advertisements in a show, that's how we keep it free for everyone. We're not selling the listener base off to a hedge fund. <laughs> Maybe we should. Yeah, we're, have we're, we thought about that? We haven't thought about that. Instead, we have uh, just partnered with some companies that we like to keep this show free. So, And I'm glad that you, that you like it. And we try to put the advertisements in places that they don't disturb the flow of the show too much. We obviously want to make sure you get as much out of it as possible. 
All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned? OG, time for us to go get some milk and cookies. So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. Even if you make money mistakes that put you in a bad situation, you can always make a comeback, and we all know those are the best stories. Second, take a history lesson from Shomari Wills. Resilience? Early black millionaires had a ton of it, and we can learn a lot from their focus and dedication. But the big lesson... Since I opened my account with all of my savings, which is a whopping $287, Bill says I'm going to make an extra 87 cents. 87 cents! Now, I totally get it. This is why all the people in those fire groups online love spending their time on arbitraging savings. This is way more lucrative than spending time with my family or friends. I mean, those people, they're just hangers on. Can you imagine how much that sweet little 87 cents is going to be worth like 60 years from now? It'll be way more than wasting time on experiences. Big thanks to Shomari Wills for joining us today. You'll find his book, Black Fortunes, wherever books are sold. We'll also share a link in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Sorry to see Bill's Bank and Car Wash already closed down. Sergeant Simpson from the Texarkana Police Department said Bill's scamming people with a fraudulent savings scheme. Fraudulent? I didn't know that. Fraudulent stuff was illegal. I thought a scam was illegal. Fraudulent's much too big a word to be bad. See ya! I like how milk and cookies is code name for scotch. That's a good idea. I'm going to start saying that. I like that. Hey, if you haven't watched Billions on Showtime, with all of the stuff that's going on here in the last couple of weeks with, uh, with the hedge funds and that sort of thing, I happen to like Billions and also kind of sort of like Axe, who's the main character in it. 
you know, they had to pause the fifth season during COVID, so I suspect they're going to catch back up again. But it's a pretty well-written show. Might be worth it. Let's listen to the trailer from uh, season five, the season you're talking about. People like us, we're different. We need power. We need it to feel alive. Maybe even to be alive. The world's changing, and you are right in the center of it. Mike Prince is in a battle with Bobby Axelrod. I know how to work this. Buckle up. They've seen the whole thing from a whole other dimension. People like us must destroy people like him. Axe is using you as a pawn. I don't like this game. It's not a game. I will tear you apart. You still don't know how all the pieces go together. It's a triple cross. I told you never to come to my place of work. Damian Lewis, Paul Giamatti. It's really well written. What could be better? You've got law enforcement, egos, tons of money. Yeah. If you haven't watched it yet, it's worth the $11 a month subscription to Showtime. You can probably burn through five seasons before spring. Juliana Margulies. Is that her name? Juliana? Uh, Joanna Margulies? Uh, I don't think she's in it. Yes, she is. I just saw her. Oh. The woman from The oh, Good Wife? Yeah. <laughs> like a bit role. Like... It's like uh, 11 seconds of a scene. Really? Because she's all over these previews. So maybe she's going to appear in the second half. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? That's not the (laughs) storyline. I love The Good Wife. I thought The Good Wife is excellent. Some good TV there. By the way, I finished Tehran. On the edge of your seat the entire time, you said. (sighs) Till the very last second of the (laughs) show. And it was satisfying and unsatisfying at the same time at the end. It made me go, oh, let's get season two. But they definitely did a good job of wrapping up season one. And if for some reason it doesn't come back, uh, very satisfying enough ending. Like, I think they ended it perfectly. So, yeah. Billions, Tehran. Uh, I got to go finish Killing Eve now. And then uh, season five of Peaky Blinders. Coolio. All right, I want to go get some milk and cookies. More milk and cookies. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, 
and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.